Traders Point, how we doing? No, no. Hey, don't blame me because you didn't get tickets to the race. We're not going to take that out here, right? We're here for a good time. We're going to make the most of this. Traders Point, how are we doing today? Some enthusiasm. Good. Hey, it's, it's so good to be with you. Excited for this series that we're in that we've just titled Love and War. And here's what we're doing. We're just working our way through this small little letter in the back of your Bible. And you can go ahead and flip there now if you like. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. Easiest way to get there, just start in the back and just flip over a few pages. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have everything on the screen behind me. But here's just a little bit of background into this letter. 1 John, why is it first? Well, it's just the first of a series of letters that um, this guy named John wrote to early um, Christians. And John was an apostle. John was one of the first followers of Jesus, one of the first 12 that was there every step of the way through Jesus's ministry on earth. And John was actually a part of the inner three as well that kind of broke off and he got this, it's this like unreal place to just be with God and to hear things and to see things that no one else did. So that's the letter that we're writing. And, and the reason for love and war is because those are two big themes that we see over the pages of this short letter. Love in the sense of loving God and loving others. What does that look like? And then war. It's, he paints a very clear picture of the reality, the space and time that we live in, there's, there's a war going on. And there's like multiple facets or layers to this war. There's a, a spiritual world, a spiritual war, like that's going on that we can't even see, so that's great. And then there's a war that you just, of, in our world, when you look out, this external, it sometimes shows up in physical wars or just pain and brokenness. And as if that wasn't enough, just to have pain and a war out there, he's also going to point to the fact that there's an internal war going on between inside of me and you. That even when we want to do the right thing or to be that type of a person, we fall short over and over again. He kind of unpacks all of this. And one of the things that I really love about this letter that's unique to 1 John is John actually lays out like a series of tests almost. Or just a thing that we can put out there and we can be certain of. A lot of times we talk about faith, we can't be certain of most things, but John's gonna say, hey, if you wanna know if, if, if you're following God, if you wanna know if, you, if you're in that kind of, that place in that relationship with God, you, here's a few things that you can look to. And he kinda has this moral test, he has this love, he has this doctrinal test, and we'll kinda work our way through all of this. Because what we've been saying is like, this spiritual decision that we made to follow Jesus has physical implications for, for how we live. So I hope you found uh, 1 John chapter two, gave you enough time there. We're just gonna read a little bit, explain a little bit, and I would encourage you to, to take notes, all right, because we're gonna unpack a lot in like these 14 verses. But take a look at what he says, starting in verse one. John says, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Let's, let's stop right there and unpack. 
just a little bit. The first line that we have to draw attention to, he says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Some of you are like, well, then stop reading because I'm not done sinning just yet, all right? I did not sign up for this. I'm still continuing in my adventures uh, of sin. But it's kind of a big line to unpack. Like, what does that even mean? That I'm writing this so that you will not sin. Well, if you were here last week, Pastor Aaron did an incredible job breaking down chapter one, where he talked about, you know, if any of us claim that we are perfect, if any of us claim that we do not sin, we're, we're kind of making a liar out of ourselves. And, and we don't have to be that person. No one's asking us to fake it. No one is asking us to pretend or to even be perfect. But he also states there in chapter one that confessed sin is always met with forgiveness. So as he kicks things off here in chapter two, he's saying, hey, God's will for your life and mine is that we would not continue to sin, but if we do, remember the remedy for our sin and how, that, um, how we kind of live that out here on life. Another way to say it is, if you sin, do these things, right? If you sin, repent, confess, and then continue moving forward, striving for that life that Jesus has for you. The, the next thing that I wanna draw our attention to is that word advocate. That's a new word that John's introducing here in this letter. And here's the way that we're gonna talk about it. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. And the best way to kind of understand this picture kind of comes from the language that's used here where it says Jesus is pleading our case before God. A way to think about this is that Jesus is our defense attorney, right? That there's gonna come a day where all of us, me and you, at the end of our lives, are gonna stand before the judge, before God. And then we're gonna have to give an account for our lives. And that's not great news, because if we have sinned at all, sinned one, broken the law just a little bit, then the whole penalty of sin falls on us, and that, that's death, right? That is separation from God. But because Jesus is our defense attorney, and he's so much more than an attorney, if we've placed our faith in him, that courtroom scene looks a whole lot different. Because on one side, you have the devil, you have the accuser, pointing, placing blame, bringing all the charges before God of who we are, what we did, and what we did not do. But Jesus is standing right there, shoulder to shoulder with us. And, and I think it's really important to understand this picture, to understand uh, kind of Christian theology. What's happening in that moment as Jesus is our defender, as our defense attorney, he's not trying to like, get God to look the other way. He's not looking for loopholes, right? He's standing in truth. He's saying, yes, they did what they did, right? It's not like we're standing there before God and we're just like a blubbering mess and the court has started, but we're just like confessing things that no one even asked us about. Like, God, and then the one time I stole my mom's car and then another time I stole a hot dog. Jesus is like, would you stop? Like, I'm trying to get us out of here. You stole a hot dog? Um, but that's not what this is in this moment. Jesus is not even pleading for grace, he's pleading for justice. Jesus is going before the Father on our behalf and he's saying yes, look at their rap sheet. They did all of those things, there's no denying it. And as the gavel is about to slam, for our sentencing, a death sentence, what we should get, Jesus interjects and says, but God, I also believe 
that you've already charged me for that sin. I believe I've already paid the penalty for that sin. So I'm saying that it would be unjust of you to charge both of us with the sin. So I'm asking you to let them go. And over and over and over again, those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus are released free. And now we get to experience eternal life with God the Father. This is the gospel, that Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live, that Jesus died the death that we deserved, and now because of our faith in him, he has paid the penalty for our sins. He has atoned for them, and now with certainty we can stand before God and he sees Jesus, and he sees his righteousness, his perfect life instead of ours. I mean, this is what it talks about in Romans chapter six, verse 23. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And please, no mistake, don't make a mistake of this. It's free because Jesus has already paid for it. And now me and you, we get to live this life that was never supposed, that we could not earn on our own. And what, what John's gonna show here is that because all of that has been done, that it would Everything that Jesus did was not just for that moment in the courtroom. Jesus did not just do all of that so that you could experience or I could experience eternity one day. It wasn't just to get us into heaven. It was to get heaven into us. And there are some real life applications that if we are gonna believe all of these things about Jesus, they're gonna show up in our lives. And now John's gonna get to this point of this is how you can know this is how you can be sure that you are following Jesus, that you've not only believed it, but it should have some proof of how you live your life. So take a look at this, uh, starting in verse three. And he says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So just a Bible study tool for you. Anytime you're reading scripture and you see the same word used over and over and over again, it's not because the author lacked vocabulary, right? A lot of times this is used to reinforce a point. So here, John uses the same word three times. Did anyone pick up the word? Obey, right, obey. You didn't even wanna say it out loud. We have a weird kind of relationship with obey, and I think it's because a lot of the times, obedience is like a, a last-ditch effort. We start with love, right? We start with gentle parenting, but eventually we have to get to obedience. Because you're like, hey, hey, no, 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 buddy, come here, come here, come here. No, you're okay. No, but what did we talk about? Yes, we did. No, you don't set couches on fire, right? No, no, we don't do, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Come on, get out of here. And then you try, and they're still not listening, you're still not listening, and then you get to this point of like, hey, listen to me. I don't care that you don't like me. You don't even have to love me, but you will respect me. You will obey me, right? It comes down to this last ditch effort of obedience. Like I tried everything else, now I'm done. You will obey me. But the important thing to see here is that 
That's not the order of things. And, and order matters when it comes to following Jesus. We're not obedient so that one day we will be loved, or we're not obedient so that we can be loved even right now. We are loved, and out of an overflow of experiencing this kind of life-changing love, seeing God for who he is, trusting not just with my eternity, but with my right now, I become obedient to him. I trust him with my life. I, I willingly do this. Because here's the thing, obedience is not legalism. I think a lot of times we kind of hold those two terms together. Well, legalism is I become dependent on following a set of rules to receive love or acceptance. That's not what obedience is. Obedience is willingly submitting to God's best for my life. I have the options, I see everything in front of me, and I'm gonna say I'm going to willingly submit to your best for my life. Even when those come into tension with what I really wanna do or what I think is best, I'm gonna lay that down and now my life is gonna reflect your best for me, not just what, what I think is my best for me. And I know maybe there's some people in the rooms today watching, you're like, that's really, that, that's just not my Jesus, right? Like that's John's thing maybe, this obedience thing, but my God is a God of love, right? He wouldn't ask me to obey. I hear you, uh, but I also wanna show you your Jesus in uh, John 14, verse 15. This is, this is him. If you love me, obey my commandments. It's this idea that if we're gonna follow Jesus, if we claim to believe it, our lives should reflect it. And it's, it's not that we live this thing out perfectly once we believe. It's not, like we said, that we never sin again, but it's this that as my relationship with God changes, the more that I experience on this side, my experience with sin changes as well. And here's just a way, just a few things that you can look at to see, hey, is my relationship with sin changing? So here's, here's the first one. I, I don't plan to sin, right? We used to have a, a word for this, our planning to sin. We called it the weekend, right? You... <laughs> You work all day, all week, and then you get to the weekend, it's time to reward yourself with some bad decisions. We don't plan to do it anymore. It still happens, but it's not like we're intentionally making these moves. The, the second part is this. I don't fully enjoy sin like I once did, and this one's a real bummer. It's like you begin to believe in Jesus, but you still have these old ways of life and these old patterns and things that you used to do and things you used to enjoy, but now they come into contact with God's best for your life and you still do them, but when you get done, you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't feel as good as it once did. What is that? That's conviction. So your relationship with sin is changing. And then finally, you'll, you'll notice that I live a life of confession and repentance. Most of our relationships with sin if we acknowledge it at all before Jesus, it brings on condemnation and shame and pain. But with Jesus, now that we have this great advocate, it completely shifts. And I no longer hide my sin, I no longer have to pretend, I no longer have to sit in the weight of shame or condemnation, I bring it into the light. And I confess it to God and I confess it to others. I live this life of repentance. It's a very different situation. And just to be overly clear, it is not that you will not sin again. 
There are a lot of us who are tormented by sin, and even the same sin. That's what John's talking about here in this letter, that there's this internal war going on within us. But at the same time, I don't give up. I don't believe that I'm knocked down forever. I believe that forgiveness and love and acceptance is always on the other side of my repentance and my confession. And that changes the way I live, that changes the way that I view myself, that changes the way I see other people. And this is a really big deal because this is part of the reason why John is writing this letter, talking to people about how they live, it really matters. Because a lot of times, you know, I don't know what you think, but we have these letters in the Bible and it's like, where did they come from? They weren't written in a, in a vacuum. They weren't written by just some person off on a, a cliff somewhere sending this into some people hoping it, it connects. A lot of times letters are responses to what's really going on in culture, what's really going on in the church. That's why John is writing this letter. There was a crisis. There was a split going on in the church. And in the early church, there was a split that we saw by something called Gnosticism, Gnosticism. And here's just a basic idea of what this is and why it was pretty problematic for the church. Gnosticism basically says that you have a, a there's like this dualistic nature to you, that there's the spiritual you and there's the physical you, but they are not connected. And the spiritual you is the only thing that matters. The physical part of you is just a shell. So the way you live doesn't matter. Do what you want with this body. Indulge in whatever you want to indulge and know that nothing is going to be able to touch the spiritual side of you. And you can imagine how that would be pretty problematic for people coming to church and hearing about this life of following Jesus and obeying and dying to yourself and serving others and giving your life as a ransom for many. And then on the other side, this, guy, this other guy on the side of the road is like, or you could do whatever you want, whenever you want. And they're like, oh, he, he does have a point. Um, so we're beginning to see this split in the church. So John writes to say, no, remember, Jesus didn't just die for you one day. He died for your life right now. And, and remember, your body is not disconnected from your spirit, but it's all connected. And your, your body is worth so much, and it's, it's value. God chose to die for you. And now his spirit lives within you. Your body's not even your own. It's a house for the spirit of God. So please take this, uh, this, this life seriously and live accordingly to the gospel that you first heard, not from what you're hearing in culture. And then he has this line at the end. He says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, right? It doesn't say live your life, uh, or it doesn't say, you know, believe like Jesus believed. It says live your life as Jesus lived. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to insert a little bit of a hot take, right? I'm going to insert a little bit of a hot take, and I'm just giving you a warning that, that it's coming, because I think there's so much here that was happening 2,000 years ago that we're still experiencing today. A lot of times with that tension of life and belief. Uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus and how does that show up in my life? Because a lot of times we start following Jesus and there becomes like this ache inside of us where we just don't feel like there's ever anything, when we come to church, when we read our Bibles, we take in this content, we take in this information, but it's like nothing's 
answering that, that ache. Nothing's really doing it for me. And some of us get so frustrated by this that we even walk away from the faith saying, this is, it's, not, it's not real, it's, it's not what I thought it was. It didn't bring any life change. And a lot of us maybe even leave churches because of this spiritual depth that we're searching for. And a lot of times what it comes down to is, is the sermons. You know, it's just not deep enough. You, you ever said that? I have. I just need something a little bit more. And what I want us to, to, to push on there is what is that more that we're searching for? And what I wanna argue is that the more that we're searching for is not going to be found in the intellectual unknown, uh, alone, you know what I mean? Like there's gonna be another side to this. Because I'm gonna be honest with you. I watch a lot of sermons. I, I learn really well from this art form. I, I study it, I wanna get better at it. I watch sermons most weeks and, and I've listened to people all over the world. And I can say with a, without, with confidence in my voice that Pastor Aaron is about as good as it gets when it comes to preaching and teaching God's word. So if it's not maybe the teaching, which I'm not saying that it, it could never be, you know what I mean? But I just, some people leave their churches or, or leave this church because the teaching isn't deep enough. And then a bunch of people come because they've never experienced such rich and deep, and deep teaching. What do we do with that? Is it stylistic? Is it some, some churches are for people that are just starting out and some churches are for people that are a little bit more mature? I, I don't think it is. Like I said, it could be. And false teaching is one thing. But what I want us to see is that the Bible is not a book of incantations, right? The Bible is not just this Harry Potter spell book that if I get alone with it and if I read it just right or if I pronounce it just right, then my life is going to be magically transformed. So in the same time, coming in and hearing a sermon, even if we try so hard to string together a per, a, just a perfect set of words, it's not going to be the thing that magically transforms you. It's, it's part of it, but it's not a book of incantations. It's... The Bible is a book of invitations. And invitations to, to hear something, to believe something, but then to do something. First and foremost, an invitation to be with God, to be in a relationship with him. An invitation to walk with him through this life and into the next. An invitation to love what he loves and, and to just be more and more like him as we go through this thing. I think a lot of the aches that we feel, we have to come to terms with that they're not gonna be found in just the knowledge piece alone. You see, spiritual depth is formed in the tension of knowledge and obedience. Knowledge and obedience. It's when those two things come together. And I'm gonna use this beautiful ball um, to try to paint this picture. So, and just to give you like a clear picture of what happens during the week as we study and we prep and we get ready to deliver a sermon. Really, we take, you know, sometimes as little as three or four verses, usually 12 to 14 verses, and we study and we pray. And we take these few verses, and in 15 hours or so, 
we blow this thing up. And we research and we pray and we study and we ask God what to give, give us something, give us something, give us something. And we take those 15 hours and then we bring it back down to 35, 40 minutes and we hand it to you. Now, the hope of this process is not that it would stay like this. It's that as you're here and you're being convicted, not by me, but by God's word, he's saying a few things to you that it doesn't live here, but as you live it out this week, it goes from here and it begins to expand. That it's not just learning something new, but it's doing something, right? Spiritual depth is not gonna be found when I learn four new words for love. It's found when I learn to live like Jesus, when I learn to love like Jesus. That's where that ache is gonna be filled. Listen, a lot of times, it's, it's, when you read scripture and you read something like the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve others, that's inspiring, that's challenging. There's gonna be conviction to that. But it really begins to stretch us and grow us when we say, okay, if that's true of Jesus, then I want it to be true of me. And I'm gonna live my life accordingly and I'm gonna start serving people. And then we begin to kind of push on those aches and that spiritual depth that we desire. Generosity. When we read things like it's better to give than it is to receive, sounds good, kind of, but you don't really feel the weight of it or the power of it until you begin to live a generous life and it begins to stretch us. When we serve other people, when we take, what does it look like to love other people and then get face to face with them? Whether that's here serving on a Sunday or in our families, when they're coming to us and then we live out that conviction and over and over again, as it comes down and then gets expanded back out, we begin to experience the life that Jesus has for us. Hear me, Jesus did not come to bring a way of death, but to bring a way of life. This following Jesus is not just for that one moment, but it's for all of our lives, that he is showing us how to live and if we love him, our lives will reflect his. And next what he's gonna do is he's gonna say, hey, if that's you, if, you're, if you believe, if you've confessed your faith in Jesus, I, I want you to remember this, this new commandment that you're gonna be living by. And take a look at it, starting in verse seven. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you, rather it is an old one. And you've heard it from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Here it is. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. What? He said, I'm not writing to you anything new. At the same time, this is new. What is he saying? Well, he's saying there's a part of this, this life of following God, that it always looks the same. Love God, love people. Love is God's thing, and that's always been there and it'll always be there. But just that part isn't even all that Christian. You can look to other religions for love and even secularism. There's people that don't believe in God, but most people wanna live under the umbrella of love. What changes things when we look to how Jesus defines love, because as we follow him, we no longer get to decide what does love demand of me? What does love call me to do? What does it truly mean 
to love one another. And he gave us a very clear kind of picture of what it looks like to love one another in John 13, verse 34. He said, so now I'm giving you, this is what he's referring to, a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So love isn't just this universal term that we're all passing around. And when you say it, you mean this. And when you say it, you mean that. And when I say it, I mean this. Jesus is saying, no, what I say it is, that's what it is. And love cannot be removed from truth because then it's no longer love. And at the same time, love cannot be removed from living a loving life because then it's no longer love. It's this idea that we're gonna come to this place and live in this tension of I'm going to love one another, not how I decide it, not how I determine it, not what I say is good enough or that's fine, but I'm gonna constantly look to the example that Jesus gave and I'm gonna live like that. Not like I'm gonna walk on water and I'm gonna do these miraculous things, no, no. I'm gonna do the day in and the day out. I'm gonna be obedient to God's call on my life and every person that I come in contact with, I'm gonna love them like they were made in the image of God and that Jesus died for them. That's gonna be my call to life. And then he's gonna challenge us. He's gonna challenge us, he's gonna keep going. He's gonna say, hey, if you still say that you believe, if you're still claiming that you love Jesus, then I, 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 wanna, I wanna call you out. And if this hits home, it's okay. It should be convicting, not condemning. But look at what he says right after this. He said, for those that, for those that claim, he says, if anyone claims I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves, anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in light and does not cause others to stumble, but anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Chances are he's probably getting word of there's these people that saying that they are Christians, saying that they confess the name of Jesus, but then they're going around just spewing hatred. And he's saying, if that's you, if you're claiming it, I don't think you understand what you're claiming because there should be evidence, there should be proof of what's going on internally. It should be showing up externally. You know, I have a bunch of kids, right? I have four kids, some of you guys know this, and uh, they're from 10 now all the way down to almost 10 months. And so there's this season in parenting where you have these babies and they can do very little for themselves. And I'm by, they can't do anything. So you're doing everything for them and this big thing that you do all the time is bathe them. You have to give them a bath. You have to do it all. You gotta get the soap, the shampoo, you wash them, you dry them, you do the whole thing, and it's great, and it's amazing. You take fun pictures, and they're beautiful. Um, but then, they get a little bit older. And then there comes a day where you look at your spouse, and you're like, I think they're ready. I think they can take, I think they can give themselves a shower. And you look at them, and you're like, hey guys, you've seen us do this for years. Do you think you could take a shower by yourself? And they're like, yep. Yep, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to take a shower. I know how to do it. I'm gonna do it right. I'm gonna do it just the way you said. And you're like, great, this is gonna be so much easier. And they go in and they take a shower. And I will tell you their claim 
does not match their action. I've never seen anything like this. Like they, I've seen this with my eyes. A kid go in to take a shower and get out with dry hair. I was like, how, how, what, what do you mean you took a shower? Your hair's not wet. He's like, yeah, I didn't want to get it in my eyes. Or there's the other extreme where one of the girls will take a shower, get out, and there is still shampoo and conditioner stuck in their hair. I'm like, did you not wash it out? And they're like, I didn't want it to get in my eyes. What? <laughs> this is just fun, but um, a couple weeks ago, we had this two-in-one shampoo and conditioner and I'm listening to my kids talk back and forth and one of them's tried to explain to the other what it is and you're like, yeah, you, uh, you put it in twice. You, you put it in the first time, <laughs> it's shampoo. And then you put it in the second time and it's conditioner. They claimed they understood, but the shower experience would, would tell otherwise. And here's what John is saying. He's like, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that your life matters. I want you to remember how you live matters. I want you to remember that you have this perfect example of Jesus. And remember how he interacted and the way he lived and how he, how he loved people. And he says, so if you're living your life but you're holding on to so much hate, and hate isn't just like I despise. Hate a lot of times shows up as indifference. I don't even care about what's going on over there or with you. He's like, that's a tall tale sign that I don't know if you're walking in the same light that you think you are. I don't know if you really believe the gospel that you say that you believe because there should be, there should be more to your life. And it's not out of like a drag. It's not out of like I have to do it. It's out of if you got that part, if you knew what was done for you and the, what Jesus' sacrifice meant, then it should be showing up over here. And I love what, the way John's gonna kinda close out our time here together. He's, um, he's gonna break into a little bit of, of poetry, as you do. You know, you're writing all these letters. Let's, let's have some fun. So he's gonna write, and then he's gonna break into some poetry here. And he's gonna talk to three different groups of people. He's gonna talk to... Um, children, he's gonna talk to the mature, and he's gonna talk to the young. And what I want us to see is that he's gonna give everyone what we'll call marching orders. Marching orders, you know that term? It's a military term where you guys are all together and then you're waiting for what is next. What is my next directive? And then it gets called in, I take it, and then I march out with my orders. So what John's gonna do here at the end, he's gonna say, hey, everyone that has placed their faith in Jesus has marching orders. We all have something to do with the faith and the level of love that we have experienced so far. There's a plan for our lives. Whether you're like, I just got baptized just now, yeah, you're like, yeah, <laughs> welcome. Um, God has something for you. If you're like, I'm 98 years old, and, and I say it with respect, um, God has something for you as well. That this life of knowledge and obedience, of growing and living out our faith, it's, it's for all of us. So he's gonna work through that same cycle, talking bam, 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 and then he's gonna reiterate it and hit it again, talking about the same groups of people. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you fall in one of these groups, what matters is that you're just honest with yourself and you say, this is where I am, 
and this is where I'm gonna be going, right? So take a look at this starting in verse 12. John says, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. And all I wanna do with our remaining time is to just work through each one of these categories. And what I want you to see is just like, where am I? Not where I wanna be or where I should be or whatever's in your mind, but where am I really in these kind of stages of growth from children, mature, or young, right? Where am I? And the first group that he talks about is, is children. Children, he says, hey, children, those that have just come to faith, those that have just come to faith, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to know the forgiveness that you've received because it has implications for how you will live. I want you to just sit in the weight of all that was done. Jesus has sacrificed for you and now the freedom that you live in because of what he's done for you. No longer, you don't live in shame, no condemnation, you have freedom. And I just want you to experience that freedom. I just want you to experience it. And then he says, I just, and I want you to know God. Basically what he's saying, he's like, I want you to know the freedom that you have, and I want you to know how to use that freedom by being with God. Knowing your heavenly Father, knowing what his heart beats for, knowing his plans for your life, knowing and the good plans and the good desires of how he wants you to live your life. That's what I want you to do. And if that's you, if you're new to the faith, and maybe you've been at it for a little bit, the, the question I just wanna put before you is are you growing spiritually? It won't be overnight, it, it's little by little. Like every May, we have this, um, this height chart that we measure the kids with once a year. And it's like, throughout the year, I can't tell that they've grown at all. They kind of look the same. It's until they stand in front of that board. And over a year, this person has just kind of grown physically before me. The same way it should be true of us spiritually. That as we begin to follow Jesus, and as his love is lavished on us, and his spirit empowers us, we should be growing spiritually. We should look different this year than we did last year. In five years, we should look different than we did today but are you growing? The next group that he talks to are the mature. John's a wise man himself. He's mature, if you would, so he doesn't say old. Um, and I won't say old, but mature in the faith. This is the way we say it, the sages of the faith. You've been around a long time. You have seen things. You have stories. You have experiences. And there are so many people that are coming to faith right now in this season, and they see your life, and they can't even believe it's possible. If you would just share what you've been through and share how God has forgiven you and share has, has God has shaped and molded you, is that you? Because we need you in the church. We need your life. There's no microwave button. There's nothing that we can put a class out to or to help people get to that place that you're at. It only comes through years and years of obedience. So I just wanna ask you, are, are you using, are you putting your experiences to use? Are you sharing? 
There's so many people that, that, that need to hear it. And I, he's mentioned the older group in this for a reason, because we're not done growing. We're not done with our job here. Until we come face to face in that courtroom with Jesus, we have work to do. So I just wanna ask you, are you using those experiences? Not just good for you, but God, they're, they'd be so good for other people. And that as you share them, as you step into more of a teaching and guiding and spiritual mentor role, you'll notice that God continues to even grow you in the season that you're in, but are you using those? And then finally, the group that he gets to last is the young. And maybe a better translation is young adults. These are the people that have come up in the faith, they've sat in that forgiveness, they know what it looks like to live in this freedom, and now they recognize the fact that they are soldiers on the front lines of a war. And the way that they live matters that they are ambassadors of God's kingdom. And he has lived the way he lived. He has brought us into a way of life and they are living it out every day. And if you're here and you're in that season, maybe you're feeling some of that weight. Maybe you're kind of frustrated. It seems like you're being attacked. It seems like there's so many things that are going up against you. But can I just tell you it's all for a purpose. That in the midst of this season, God is strengthening you through experiences and you're going toe to toe with the devil. You are literally in a war, but I want you to hear this, what John said. You do not, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from a place of victory. The devil has already been defeated. Jesus has already won. Love has already conquered hatred and evil. And there's so many at our church right now too that you're staying as a child because you're worried about what it'll mean to step onto that front line, what it'll look like to follow Jesus, for people to look to you and expect things from you. But I'm telling you, the reason you're feeling that ache, that ache, that ache it ain't going nowhere until you step onto that front line and you truly live out God's purpose and reason for you being here. We're not just waiting for heaven to come, we're bringing heaven with us and we're sharing the gospel with those in front of us. And little by little, we get to see God do the miraculous over and over again. And for those of you that are here and you're like, I wouldn't say I'm in any of those categories. I don't know if I believe. I don't even know if God is for me. This God that you're talking about, I've never heard of a God like this before. What do I do with a message like this? I just want you to go back to the first verse that we read here in 1 John chapter 2, verse two. He says, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. God has already decided to forgive you. God has already decided that you are worth dying for. The sacrifice has already been made on his side. What you have to do is believe. You have to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the son of God, that he did leave heaven, come to earth, he lived that perfect life that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we deserved, but he didn't remain dead. Jesus rose three days later, defeating sin and death on that cross. And now he is extending an invitation to come and to be with him. 
And what you have to do is believe and then repent. To stop living the way that you were once living. Stop believing the things that you once thought were true and saying, now I'm gonna give up all of that and I'm I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna walk with you and I'm gonna follow you. And I'm gonna let you decide what love really is. And I'm gonna let you decide what my life really looks like because you're not only my savior, but you're my Lord. And it's on the other side of that knowledge and obedience do we get to experience this abundant life that Jesus has for us. And if that's you today, we just want you to know that you can make that decision. Repent, believe, begin to follow. That all can happen right now. We're gonna have people at the front of all of our stages at every campus. If you make that decision today to follow Jesus, we'd love to be a part of it. You can come forward and talk with someone, please do before you leave today. But as we go, as we take our marching orders, because hopefully God has said something to you, one, two things convicted you, and it's not just for you to know, but it's for you to do. So before you leave here on your marching orders, I wanna ask everyone to stand. Would you stand to your feet? And before we go and we live out this love that Jesus has has laid on all of us, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. And we're gonna worship like people who know and who have seen and who believe that God is who he said he is. And we're gonna believe his life for us. And we're gonna trust We're gonna live lives that look like his. If you are courageous enough and bold enough to pray a prayer like that, I would encourage you to pray with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you even for the challenge, as convicting and as challenging as it is. God, we don't wanna just be people of knowledge storing up more and more information. But God, we know that your spirit has called us to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. So God, I ask that you would meet us right where we are and your spirit would give us the marching orders. Whether that's just knowing and being with you and experiencing your forgiveness and your love and knowing you, whether that's coming to this place and looking at how faithful you've been decade after decade and using our experiences to train up and equip the next generation. Whether it's for those of us that are on the front lines and we've been fighting and we're growing weary, God, I pray that you would just give a word of blessing and strength and endurance and refreshment to let them know that the battle is worth the fight. God, we give our lives to you. We trust you with every piece of it. God, allow us to experience more and more of your perfect love. It is in your perfect and holy name we pray. Amen.